Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Or they may have just been friends outside of the church. They may just be friends, you know, family members. We see this where people are in relationship and in harmony together, and then something happens, and it causes disunity. And oftentimes, when you can name it and say it out loud, this isn't true 100% of the time, but a lot of times it's something silly, right? Or it's some miscommunication or it's some misunderstanding. It's something very simple. Very rarely is it something big, although those do happen for sure. A lot of times it's just something minuscule. Somebody took something the wrong way and somebody thought it meant one thing and it meant another this is kind of where Eudodia and Syntax are kind of there. They're, they got it, and they've got this thing that's caused some kind of beef, which is really weird because they're in a small house church. Likely wasn't any bigger than four, I mean, but likely wasn't any bigger than 15 people, 12 to 15 people more than likely. And they're in it, they find themselves in this really weird place of now in a small group in this small space finding beef with each other. And Paul's saying, hey, I know that you love God. You've helped me in the gospel. So find, find your peace in Christ. Find your peace in doing what it is that Jesus has called you to do and quit worrying on this silliness, whatever it is that you found beef in. And he's even employed someone who's there to help him. Likely it was a guy named Epaphroditus who Paul names this letter, although we don't really know that. But he comes out of that and says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. And then he flows through that. But let's read that again. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. You may have a version of the Bible that says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let that be the thing that marks you. The interesting thing is, Christians have every reason to celebrate, right? If, if what we believe is true, and if you didn't believe it was, you'd probably still be in bed, right? Or enjoying coffee on this nice, peaceful morning. You likely would not be here. So we believe it's true, and if it is true... We have every reason to rejoice that all the boneheaded things we've ever done in our life, God looks at and says, my son has taken care of it for you. I provided a way out. And every time I look at you, I just see this perfect creation who's done nothing wrong. Thanks to my son who took that for you and has paid the punishment for you, and you get all the reward. That is an unbelievable way to see life. And we have every reason to rejoice. As Paul says, rejoice. Again, I say it again. Rejoice. The, the, the um, society he wrote this to celebrated all the time. They celebrated everything. They had multiple gods. There was constant celebration. But Paul's saying, hey, don't let your celebration be become uh, a source of, of, of being braggadocious or being arrogant. Let gentleness, let graciousness be the thing that marks you. Celebrate, rejoice, but do it with a gentle and gracious spirit. 
And so then right after that, he has basically three main things. Um, three main things that come into line if the celebration is both joyful, but also gentle and gracious. And so in verse 6 through 7, we find the first one. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Paul is saying, rejoice, do it graciously. And if you do, the prayer, a prayer will come out of you, which will overcome all anxiety. Why? Well, to understand really how they read this, we have to understand that in the society in which they were, I just mentioned there were lots of gods. And this was a Gentile group of people who had converted to Christianity. So these were people who not long before believed in multiple different gods, whichever one it was, and you had to appease them all, right? There was a God of the field, and you had to appease them. There was a God of the, the rain and the water and fertility and a God of the land and a God of the trees and a God of the water and a God of... And you had to appease it. And if you didn't, that particular God was going to be mad at you, right? You may have done well, and you've got a bountiful garden and your wife's barren. You, you messed it up on the God of fertility, so we got to go appease this guy. And it was constant anxiety. Where is it coming at me next? Who's going to get me next? But this God, Yahweh, the God of gods, was not like that. Now, Paul was not guaranteeing against suffering. He's already talked many times in his book about suffering. But the certainty came in the God who loves you is in control. Flashback to chapter 1. God's over the entire empire. And now he's saying God's over all the, all the things that bring you anxiety. And so you can very simply pray to the God that loves you, the God who is in control of it all. And knowing that that is who it is that you're praying to, the anxiety melts away and God gives you a peace that surpasses understanding. You got your stories about how this plays itself out. The one time, and, and I've, I've actually had this play out many times in my life. The one time that was the most stark, because it was almost like day and night, came in uh, late December and early January, late December 2013, early January 2014. We had just found out Ben's twin had died. And you can imagine, like, they're, they're, they're um, identical, they share a lot of the same stuff inside of mom. And it's like, holy cow, what's going to happen to this kid? You know, we've only been pregnant one other time. It ended in a stillbirth. This, like, what in the world is going on? I, I could probably count on one hand how many hours we slept over the next five days. But we were prayerful. And something happened between like the fifth and sixth day. And Natalie and I wasn't, weren't, weren't necessarily talking about it. But that sixth night, we just fell asleep and woke up the next day and realized if this is what God wants to have happen, it'll happen. If it's not, it won't. And found unbelievable peace in that. And it wasn't something that we talked about and something the pastor came to our house and said, ah, here's a scripture and here's what you got. It was just something that the Holy Spirit just did. And it was beautiful. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, if you realize who it is you're praying to, that this God who is over everything, 
and you're rejoicing in that God and celebrating that God and worshiping that God, and you're doing what you know is you're going to be able to pray this prayer that's going to just melt your anxiety away. And that's not to be flippant because there certainly is people, uh, there certainly is conditions that people have, chemical imbalances that can throw that out of whack. I've experienced that myself, right? That can kind of throw you in a tail. And there's times in life where it throws you into a tailspin, whether it's a job loss, things that kind of throw us into a family member loss or a relationship loss or whatever it is. Like there's things that kind of throw us in tailspin. But what Paul is saying and what I can tell you from experience is if you lean on the God who is able to do all things, that created all things and provides all things, you get yourself to a place where you realize if that's who it is I'm worshiping, then even if the worst thing happens, it's okay. And it's the place that we found ourselves in then and then oftentimes the believer finds himself in is, is anxious, but God, are, are you good? And if I believe you're good, then I believe this is what's going to happen. And it'll be for a reason. And you're going you're gonna to carry me through that one way or the other. And so Paul's saying that. He's also saying that the certainty comes in that the same loving God who's in control cares about you, right? What does he say in verse 7? Well, really, at the end of verse 6. But in in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul's not ignorant here. Paul knows the answer to this question. But how many things do you pray for on a daily basis that if you really thought about it, you may think, man, God doesn't care about this. This is silliness. It's a a parking spot on the street, right? Or it's a, you know, it's a, you know, Rain to end so that your kid's soccer game can happen, or maybe vice versa, or some, some silliness, right? And Paul's saying, God cares about it all. Whatever it is, present your prayers and your petitions to God, for He cares about you. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts, but ultimately just present them all to God. Because he is in control and he cares about you. And that is comforting knowing that the God that created all things cares about. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And sometimes if we're honest, the things that matter to us right in that moment are things that we probably would have, like if we had a grand, like if we had our life in like a novel and we could just go through and edit things out, like the silly little mundane things, there's probably a lot we would cut out of it. But in the moment, it really matters, whatever it may be. And Paul's saying God cares about it. He loves you and he cares about it. So we can present that. And when you know that the God that you're praying to not only is control and cares about you, man, is that freedom and peace to be able to come to that God and say, you're in control, God. Let me do. Here's what I'm asking. But I'm trusting you with that. The second thing that he, that comes up is in verse 8. That the patterns of thought which celebrate God's goodness throughout creation begin to come into our mind, and that's what he wants us to focus on. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything moral, ex, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Man, that's a long verse. But it's a good verse because Paul's saying whatever is good. And I'm not going to list the rest of the things he just said because I don't remember them all. 
But he's saying, if it's good, if it's wholesome, if it's there, dwell on that. What does society have us dwell on? Chaos, right? Turn on the news. It's chaos, right? Turn on sports channels. Turn on anything. Like They are trying to create chaos because they know if they create chaos then you'll watch the commercial that they're actually selling. That's why they're in business, to sell the commercials, not really to give us news or to show us ball games on TV. They're in business to sell commercials. And if they create chaos and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to find out what happens next, you're sitting there through the end of that. And God's saying whatever is good, not whatever is chaotic, dwell on that. Read the newspapers. Watch the news. Their stock and trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious and blameworthy, right? That's what they want to sell us. And God's saying, is that a true representation of God's goodness in the earth? And it's not. A true representation of God's goodness in the earth is peace. It's reconciliation. That doesn't sell. And that's okay to to acknowledge that and say, well, sometimes I just like to watch TV. Sometimes I like to watch news. That's fine. Know what it is that they're selling you and know that it's not what Jesus has in store for us. It's not a true picture of the world because a true picture of the world is a one in which God is reconciling a broken creation back to himself. And so think about that because when we can think about that, anxiety begins to melt away. It helps us rejoice even more in God. And and here's the interesting thing. When you rejoice in God, it helps you focus on that. It's a great cycle. And then lastly, the style of life which embodies the gospel flows from this life of of, uh, gentleness and joyful worship. A style of life which embodies the gospel, verse 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me. And seen in me, and the peace of God will be with you. Paul is basically saying, I'm rejoicing in God. I'm doing it with gentleness. Watch this fruit that's coming out of my life. And it's not because of me, although there's a lot of people who say Paul's an arrogant guy because he brings it up. But Paul is always very quick to say, I'm the worst sinner of all. This is just the, the good things that God's doing in me. And so I've been living my life among you guys. I helped start you guys. I'm doing this stuff. So look to me. If you need a living example... Look to me, because Jesus is changing my life and making me more like him. And sometimes we need that. We have, I wouldn't use the word hero, but we have people that we look to. I can tell you the names of two men in my life who, whenever I feel like I'm blowing it, as a dad, as a pastor, as a whatever, I can look to two guys who mentored me, and they're both passed away now, and see this living example of, of mercy and graciousness and goodness, and these kind of this list. I'm saying, man, that was, and not that they were perfect, right? I know that is true. And Paul was quick to bring that up about himself, and he's saying this. I'm not telling you this is perfect, but sometimes we need that. And here's the good thing. As we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, we get to be that for other people. Like, that's my prayer is that one day I can be for other people, for other young men, for my boys, what Donald Mitchell and my granddad Wesley were for me. I don't want them to look at me and see the brokenness, although it's there, 
And I don't want them to think I'm God. I don't want to replace God, but I also want them to see how God has transformed me so much that I can be an example that they look to and not not look away from. And that only comes when we create our lives around a space of worship and thankfulness to God. And so for that reason, I mean, it's not only for that reason. God just kind of worked it out. In fact, they were picking the songs and doing different things this morning. I was like, well, it actually works out to do more songs because the whole message of Philippians 4 is wrapped around rejoicing God. And we do that in lots of ways. And one of those ways is singing and then praying and confessing. And we do all these things because we rejoice in the fact that God has provided this for us. And so this morning, as we, as we move into a time where we'll do some more singing and we'll pray together and we'll say uh, what we believe together, you know, my hope is that we'll be people who are joyful at all times, worshiping God joyfully at all times with gentleness and graciousness, and that we'll begin to see more of his fruit. Some of you guys... I mean, a lot of us, that fruit's already there. We want to see more and more and more of it and see less and less and less of ourselves. So this morning, let us go to this gracious God who has done all these good things for us. We get to rejoice in the God who is over the empire, the God who loves us and cares about us. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Done for us. But God, you give us glimpses and moments where we sit back and we're like, wow. God, may those be the stones we put on the side of the river to look back to and remember your goodness because we know, we've lived life long enough to know there'll be times in our lives where there will be some pain, something that comes out of the blue and it's going to knock us for a loop. It's going to make us angry or it's going to give us anxiety or it's going to throw us into depression and God, may those... May that be the thing that we can look back to and say, nope, God is good. He does care because we know that's true about you. Forgive us when we get so wrapped up in our lives that we ignore that. But thank you that you're so gracious, that you don't hold that against us, that you love us, that you care deeply for us. And this morning, may we be people who rejoice and celebrate in you constantly. But let us not do it with arrogance, but with gentleness and graciousness. God, may we all be people that when we're gone from this earth, other people can look back and say, that was somebody I looked to. Thank you that you've given us that model and and your son, Jesus, but you've also allowed Jesus' life to be lived through imperfectly other people that we've known in our life that we can look to. God, I pray that I am that person one day and that everyone in this room is that person one day. Someone can look back and say, that person inspired me. I saw Christ through their life and it propelled me forward. It helped me in a moment of need, in a moment of weakness. I thank you that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom. Amen. Thank you.
you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.